0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Tonight, we welcome back a familiar voice by popular demand. A voice that echoes through the hallways of alternative knowledge. A beacon of independent inquiry. Who in navigating the labyrinth of life's greatest mysteries. I'm referring to the indomitable Mike Wilkerson, from his early adventures in the 80s as a maverick hacker, generally infiltrating the servers of giants such as Microsoft, to a transformative journey leading him to the sun-kissed shores of Costa Blanca, Spain. As a devoted chiropractor, Mike's life is a testament of resilience and a ceaseless quest for knowledge. His days of digital intrigue may have ended with a brief incarceration. But his period of defiance and thirst for understanding the unexplored never waned instead he transformed and matured leading him to question the unquestionables and dig beneath the surface of our reality for the last decade or more mike has been instrumental in improving the world's health one spine at a time channeling his energy into the well-being of others but this benevolent backcracker is not just about the physical a father or two an avid hiker an ardent health crusader An artist, a budding author, and a dedicated mapper of cognitive cognitive rabbit holes, Mike embodies a holistic approach to life and understanding. Mike's investigative lens, however, doesn't stop at the human body. He has carved out a niche for himself in the world of alternative research, plumbing the depths of biogeology and titanology. His focus primarily orbits around alternative history, non-standard cosmologies, gigantism and rapid petrification challenging the paradigm and shedding light on aspects of our world that often go unnoticed. From exploring the mysteries of the great trees to pondering the perplexities of geopolymers and melted structures, from waking up with analog, the archivist, to examining the nuances of truth discernment, Mike leaves no stone unturned. His work on petrified titans and organs is a testament to his dedication and his keen interest in the heart structure and function. So if you want to explore the uncharted territories of our reality, don't go anywhere.
0: Welcome to Veritas. If this is your first time listening, welcome home. To access tonight's full interview and all of our exclusive material, simply join the Veritas Plus family by clicking on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. And while you're there, don't forget to check out the Veritas store for a range of great products, including focused life force energy. Experience the power of FLFE with a 15-day free trial today. No credit card required. We're excited to announce the launch of our brand new Veritas Plus Insider, your source for exclusive news and insights you won't find anywhere else. If you're looking to get in touch with Mel, have a guest suggestion, or would like to provide feedback, simply click on the contact button on our website. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's show. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick.
1: And his YouTube channel is Stellium7. Directly from Costa Blanca, Spain, I'd like to welcome Mike Wilkerson. Hello, Mike, and welcome back. How are you?
2: Hi, Mel. I'm really good. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be invited back. It was a lot of fun last time.
1: Absolutely. And had a lot of people saying, bring him back. There's a lot of stuff that we need to talk about again. But I was mentioning to you offline, I'd like to start with this. I know this is not your area of expertise, but I... We have a mutual friend, Alex Michael, the conspiracy music guru who lives close to you. He was with me on the show last week, and he said a few things, and for some reason I didn't probe too much. But I'd like to get your take on this, and maybe you have some references. But he mentioned a few things about instead of focusing so much on the South Pole, or some people call it the, the ring around what we call the plane, uh, the ice walls. He says, i like to focus more on the North Pole, because you have Scandinavia there, for example. With Sweden, he said, S.W. Eden, Southwest Eden, Norway, the way of the North, Finland. Finn means in Latin, the end, the end of land, and Denmark, the mark of Eden. So that prompted me to ask you, do you know anything about this?
2: a bit i have i've seen a lot of uh videos covering these topics and i heard um an audiobook called the smoky god which uh is tells the story of a fisherman uh and his son i believe who uh were leaving from norway and found a passage kind of by accident to these northern lands that we see on a lot of different uh older maps there's a Often you' you'll find these, this it's a four continent system that um, it's shaped kind of like a pie with with four rivers going in and out. And you know this is where our mythic tales of hyperborea and uh, you know the the world tree of, of the the Norse mythologies Yggdrasil, you know, this, it all centers around these areas. And I think it's incredibly fascinating. That's where you have you know we have the northern lights up there. Uh, our compasses point there. You know come past seems to uh kind of you know say something in the word uh, like come you know <laughs> i don't know i'm more i'm far more drawn to the to the northern pole than the southern pole based on what i know about uh who likes to go to the south um yeah and, and before we started we were talking a little bit about the Bok saga which i'm no expert on but i've watched some documentaries on that as well and uh, that's a fascinating story of uh uh, it's told by uh, a man named Eorbach, who's no longer alive, but he was—he claimed to be the final descendant of a family that traced their lineage back to the the the, the first people who originated from these central lands uh, in Hyperborea, and uh, he was Finnish, and the, he claims that that um, when. The the last major cataclysm occurred that that because of the the Gulf Stream that that winds its way from the Gulf of Mexico around Florida and up into um the it's, it's called juan which is the the Eastern Sea which is the sea that goes up past Gotland and then and then right up into Finland and that. These were the only sections of, of the world that were inhabitable above ground during during that time so he he's got a very very interesting story to tell that was an oral tradition that was passed down to him by his mother and, and sister and I can I can definitely recommend people look into that
1: do you think there's a symbolic or literal significance to these Scandinavian countries the names in terms of their geographical positioning
2: I definitely think there could be. I mean, when when you look at these old maps, it, it seems like things have gone missing in our in our current uh, our current maps. And uh, when you look on Google Earth, which I like to do a lot, the North Pole is just showing water. And I don't know about you, when I when I was a kid, I, I remember that that was all ice up there, ice. and there were people who trekked to the North Pole, you know. And now, when you look on Google Earth, it's all just a bunch of water. And if you zoom in close, there's. Um, there's all kinds of little anomalies that you can see on Google Earth, and it it looks like a big pie. Um, you know, it's like it looks a lot like they kind of wrapped a, a flat surface around a ball, and then they had problems with rendering. And so you, you can see the artifacts of that. The same when you go to look at the South Pole, uh, it looks like the, a Pac-Man with, with these little wedges, and the, you zoom in close on on what should be the South Pole. And uh, you're not, you're not seeing reality there. You're just, you're just seeing some, some glitch of the, of the matrix.
1: Well, Google is part of the deep, deep state. I mean, we know that whatever we see, and even my, Alex was mentioning that he was discussing an area somewhere, I forgot exactly where it was. And not even a week later, Google completely pixelated it so that people can't see that part anymore. So they're on the lookout <laughs> for people like you, Alex, and me, I guess.
2: That that happens all the time. Stuff goes missing on Google Earth. It's pretty it's pretty interesting, and I'm I'm sure they'd explain it all away with some kind of rendering error or or something, you know. But um, as we we spoke about in in our last uh, conversation when, with regards to the research that I did on the mountain Montgo, after I'd done three or four videos on that subject, um, a certain eye and ear went missing from Google Earth. <laughs> That's what Alex was saying. That now I
1: remember that's exactly what he said of your research that you were looking into the cavity of the eye and then all of a sudden Google Earth blocked that. Why would they yeah, do that?
2: Why? They did they didn't block it entirely. I think they couldn't block it entirely because this is a very uh tourist region and a lot of hikers go up to this uh mountain and so you know it's it's uh when it's rendered in 3D, it has very high, high level of detail. And um so after I made the third and fourth videos covering the eye or the second and third covering the eye and the ear, I was in an interview with a friend and uh, was was showing him. And as I went to zoom in on this area, just the eye and just the ear were were blurred out. Now, other parts of the mountain have also been blurred out. Uh, so, it's not as suspicious. But uh, back then, it was just, just the eye and the ear but i had used uh google earth and and zoomed very in, in a very slow fashion high definition um and i was and i was able to use that almost like a as if i had drone footage so so i was flying in from very far away and 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 zooming in on the mountain from a variety of different angles and uh and so i had all that footage and then after it changed i was able to show the before and after and that's what i did in the in the fifth video it's a series called unveiling a titan there's six parts to it plus a a seventh part that was uh that i filmed live up at the eye with questions and answers and went around and showed some of these different features that that seem to match up perfectly with eye socket anatomy which is pretty odd if it was just pareidolia or some you know trick of the mind
1: we're going to get back to biogeology in a moment especially that mountain in, in in where you are but I'm thinking of, of one image that I saw. This is in Southeast Asia, I believe. You, I'm sure you have seen it. And it's this gigantic snake. And it goes around mm. a mountain. And you see the actual texture of the snake. Scales. And then you, the scales. And then you see yeah. the, the actual head of the snake. What do you make yeah. of that?
2: Yeah, it's called the naga, N-A-G-A. And I think the, the local myths tell the tale of some um, woman who was a, a, a sorceress or something and was very upset. and I can't remember if she became petrified or I, I don't remember the details of the story, but it's it's worth looking into because it's it's an interesting read. Um, and there's a lot of good footage uh, that you can find on on YouTube of people walking around this. And I I don't know if this is something that that was carved over a very, very long period of time by people that wanted to make it look that way. Or, or if it just is what it appears to be, but it sure looks like a titan snake. Uh, we're talking huge, you know, hun- hundreds of feet uh, in length and coiling. And like you said, there's a very detailed head, and and all the scales are there, and it and it just curves exactly as if a, a snake would would curve. So it's it's fascinating to look at. It's definitely if, one of the the better titan examples out there.
1: If it's a petrified animal. Again, you may have discussed this during our our last interview. What could create this effect? Because it seems that the animals they seem alive but petrified.
2: Right. Yeah, so we're not we're talking about really petrification that's rapid, not not something that's occurring over hundreds or thousands or millions of years because Obviously, if it's if it's flesh, it would start to degenerate, it would decay, it would uh, be eaten by larvae and and bacteria. So the fact that that some of these finds are so well preserved suggests that whatever happened happened very, very quickly. So that gets into the this topic of of instant petrification, um, which I, I've been fascinated with now for you know going on four years, ever since I started to look at the mountain. Um and obviously, there's a lot of different possible explanations for how something like that could happen. I mean, you have the the biblical explanations, you have the mythological explanations. From a scientific perspective, we're looking at it, you know, from very left brain, and and you know, what can we look at in the here and now to to prove or disprove this? I, I've I've been more interested in other kinds of explanations that have to do with things like um, you know, volcanic activity plasma you know there's there's a lot of different different things you can look at but those are some of the the best explanations for as far as I'm concerned
1: going back to biogeology any new insights that have surfaced since we last talked about this
2: yeah well i've been looking into it a lot i wouldn't say that i personally have made more discoveries as far as what's you know here around me um you know, we we discussed the the heart stones quite a bit last time. The the research that I did into these these rocks that I the, that I began to notice that that had a reoccurring pattern that didn't make any sense based on random erosion or bumping around against other rocks or water erosion, uh, because they were very very specific and they were matching heart anatomy. And we're told that's totally impossible because hearts don't petrify. You get petrified bones and and that sort of thing but uh soft tissues is said to to be eaten long before it could could ever petrify um so it's been an odd thing because i've been kind of working backwards uh with all of this i don't come from a geology background i don't i don't have a chemistry background or or you know any of these these subjects i've been looking at things with different eyes after seeing some fascinating theories and and then noticed different patterns, and then as I started to look into those patterns more and more, I found that wait a minute, there's way too much that's just lining up with with what initially seemed random chance, and then it it doesn't it doesn't make sense as random chance anymore. So I've been trying to come up with the theories after the fact instead of having having a theory first and looking for ways of proving it. It's um yeah, it's been an interesting journey in that respect. So I've been a bit. Reluctant, uh, you know, I've had a lot of self doubt because I don't, I'm not, I, I don't have uh, expertise in any of these disciplines. So, like, who am I to be taking on a whole ology with with these findings and trying to present something that that most of the world would consider to be absolutely absurd?
1: Is there any type of laboratory that could take any of the, for example, the hearts, the petrified hearts that you've, you've you have? Any yeah, laboratory well, that could undertake this?
2: yeah I you know I was some people reached out to me uh, a couple two or three years ago, um, who one of them was friends with somebody who owned a laboratory that had you know the machinery that would be necessary to to really do an in-depth investigation with these stones. What I was most interested in was spectroscopy because that can give you the actual breakdown of what the the, the structure is is made of. So if you if you have a rock and you pulverize it, you hit it uh with you know a spectroscopy machine that's going to that's going to hit it with light and then you can see um it you know it reflects back based on what the elements are and you can determine what the elements are in the in the sample and what percentages are there and i thought that's a perfect way to do a, a comparison with what we know about hearts for example um <clears throat> I wouldn't expect there to be a direct correlation, obviously, because one is flesh and one is stone. So so to me, that necessitates that there's been some sort of a transmutation that's occurred and and the elements have literally gone from from one thing to another. And um, one of those discoveries that I made along the way, which I didn't know about until I was trying to understand the phenomenon better, is that there are different examples that we we can point to of examples uh, of, of things where biology can transmute. So there's actual transmutation of elements that occurs in biology. And I gave, I think the example last time of um, of an egg that, that a, a chicken is is eating its food and then every single day it's producing an egg and it lays this egg that has a shell that's made almost entirely of calcium. Well, they've done experiments where they've looked at the the intake of the of the chicken and tried to determine how much calcium is in the chicken's diet. And they found out that there's more calcium in the eggshell than the chick it is the chicken is consuming each day. So that's you know beyond what the chicken might need for its own calcium needs. It's producing these these eggs, you know, on a daily basis. So right off the bat, you've got an example there of of the chicken is taking in something that is then being transmuted into calcium, and there are other examples of of people that have done studies with trees for example where they they take a tree and they put it in a pot and they weigh the soil in the tree and then they 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 put it inside of a room so it's only getting sunlight through the windows and it's only getting distilled water and then over the course of several years this tree grows and it takes on mass well where is it getting that from it's it's transmuting light and water and creating some it's creating you know material in, in, in the tree. So um, these are these are just fascinating ideas that I came across before because I wasn't aware of this because the the mainstream model when it comes to elements and you know how elements are, are born in the in the heart of stars and the supernovas spread them out into the universe, that requires something like, you know, nuclear fusion in order to create new elements. So I don't, I no longer believe the the uh, the mainstream model when it comes to a lot of things that have to do with physics and the age of things and how certain materials come about.
1: When you take one of those hearts and you pulverize her, for example, and, you know, you mix it with water. I'm not a biologist or a scientist. I'm just thinking out loud. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you be able to detect some of the composition of blood? from iron the muscles and so on
2: exactly that's what i had hoped we would be doing when i sent these samples off to this laboratory i've got two videos on my channel that cover that the first one is called an exciting research day where i took uh, a dozen of these stones and i and i actually filmed them just before sending them off in a box and i and i show them and rotate them um you know giving a 360 degree um view of each stone and I talked about why I chose those particular stones and how they were matching this this pattern that I was that I'd recognized and um so I sent those off and it took about a month or so before I started to uh, get answers back and it was it was very interesting we discussed this briefly last time but uh, there's a second a video on my channel it's called paradigm crushed And it's a very long video, but it's very interesting because the first 90 minutes of this video are the telephone conversations between myself and the man who initially reached out to me. He asked me up front if he could record the call, which caught me off guard a little bit, but I I had nothing to hide. And I I was happy that somebody was interested in taking the research further because, you know, it's just me here. I don't have a budget and I'm not an expert in these, these subjects. So, um, you know, it's it, it it was it was exciting to me that somebody was reaching out that had access to a laboratory and was interested in doing a free analysis on these stones, and they offered to to pay me, but I, I didn't. I wasn't looking for compensation. I just wanted the data. I wanted to see what do the numbers say, and I already knew that the chances were that whatever came back was going to be different from what what you would expect in the you know the composition of a fleshy heart. But I have a friend who's has a PhD in molecular chemistry, so I knew that I could get an objective pair of eyes looking looking at this um, to see if maybe there was a correlation where certain elements lined up and other ones didn't. And, and that, in, in in combination with all of the, the different findings that I've already documented extensively on my channel with these stones, I've probably got 20 videos or more uh, covering these and, and hundreds and hundreds of examples of them. Uh, I figured that combined with with spectroscopy, if there was uh, a pretty good correlation, you know, from a percentage perspective, that it would be real slam dunk for evidence in favor of this theory. But unfortunately, I got a couple of guys who were interested in defending the mainstream theory, not interested in doing any actual analysis of the stones. They provided me no data. I got no numbers. I got basically a hand wave dismissal of the theory and um and then fortunately the two of them had a conversation which was also recorded in which they discussed the findings and and the results and talked about all the different ways in which i had gone wrong with my with my thinking and um so i thought that was a pretty fascinating um chain of of events and and i went through every line of those conversations and and address what they were talking about and present visuals for what they're, they're, they're claiming, and then show that in, in contrast to, to my stones and uh, and what I, what I had sent to them. Um, and it's pretty, pretty telling. I think um, it's, it's well worth the watch paradigm crushed. It's on my, on my channel.
1: Enough to listen to what you just said about academia, getting involved in protecting the, the narrative that they they impose upon us. Do you think that it's time for us to have alternative academia or independent or non traditional academia to counteract the perceived limitations or shortcomings that mainstream academia pushes upon us all the time?
2: Yeah, I do, but it's it how how to go about you know bringing something like that about? I I, I don't know. It's the, my. My take on things now is: is so much of academia is there for the purposes of, uh, you know, narrative control and keeping us off the the scent of of the truth when it comes to a whole wide variety of topics. You have this whole concept of peer review, which, in and of itself, is a is a logical fallacy if you think about it. Because what is peer review? It's just an appeal to authority. So, so, people within a particular discipline are talking amongst themselves to decide whether this new information that's coming in is worthy of being published or not. So, if there's a narrative that's coming in and evidence in favor of that narrative, and that narrative is completely uh, going against whatever the mainstream accepted beliefs are on a particular topic, what chance does that have of coming through? You know, you have a lot of people with vested interest financially vested interests when it comes to their education and their you know the letters after their name so I think a lot of the most important knowledge is actually being suppressed and it's being done by Academia and different societies you know I I, I think of uh organizations like the Royal Society and the Nobel committee and and these they're they're basically the highest level of science and they're setting the narratives of what we all are supposed to believe in is the settled science and the truth about our our reality and um and i and i find more and more the more you look into the different ideas that have been championed by them over over the decades or centuries the you know the more it seems like like narrative control so how to how to bring about a, a new academia I don't know, but I, I realized early on that if I was right about any of the stuff that I was discovering and I and I was starting to make videos about, that I had you know zero chance of this this getting through and creating some kind of a revolution in in, in geology. Because for me to be right, that would have to mean that tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, of geologists around the world have missed very fundamental things about the nature of our our physical reality and how stones actually form and how old they are and 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 that sort of thing um so I don't I don't perceive that happening any
1: anytime soon. Well I think it's happening and I'll say this humbly for oh, years oh, people I,
2: sorry let me just finish the thought because I forgot okay. to say it so that that was why I, I came out with the YouTube channel just to share the findings because i wanted as many people to to get their eyes on this stuff as possible so that other people would wake up to this as a possibility. Now i might be wrong and i've said that from the very beginning. Don't take my word for it. Go out and look at this stuff for yourself. See if it makes any sense, compare it to anatomy and and decide for yourself whether whether i'm barking up the wrong tree or whether i, you know, there there might be some substance to the to the things that i've been i've been claiming. And even claim is a strong word because I don't, th- you know, I ha- I still, with all all this time and all the the study and all the videos I've made, I still reserve a lot of doubt when it comes to my own findings. There are other things that that we can get to later that I that I've got no doubt about, and I've started championing those on my channel, even though they don't necessarily necessarily relate directly to my own research.
1: Well, that's what I meant to say. You know, people have written to me through the years, and they tell me, "Do you realize that your platform is?" Uh, it, it's like a modern-day mystery school. It's like an alternative <laughs> academia because I'm a true believer in fostering intellectual pluralism. I hate when I'm told, nope, you cannot go there. I mean, UNESCO, uh, the Smithsonian, they're known for, nope, this stops right here. Sci- our science, our version of science says this or that. But what you talk about, I think those are marginalized or underrepresented topics, and we need a platform where you can come out with this information and, you know, offer different perspectives. And I think that's one thing that academia lacks right now. And people are, they have a curiosity, they have a hunger for knowledge that's not available in mainstream.
2: Definitely. Yeah. And people mock YouTube. Oh, you got your education on YouTube. Oh, you watch some videos, but I mean, there's so much incredible information on YouTube and there's a lot of very, very intelligent people who are chunking huge amount huge amounts of, of information. In my last live stream, I, I did it on uh, the subject of opals, geodes, and how this relates to the, the topic of the great trees, which I'm I'm extremely taken by. Um and you know I'm I'm referring to all kinds of very very solid science and 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 uh actual empirical uh what experiments that are that are being done before your very eyes you know so i and i've been looking at this stuff a, a great deal so i i chunk a huge amount of information someone else comes along and they learn all that in a in the space of two hours so to mock youtube because you know it's unscientific i i think um i think that it, you know if it depends on what your interests are there's a lot of junk on youtube as well you have to be discerning and you have to you have to you know, reserve doubt when it comes to new information and, and try and look for information that, that might contradict it as well, if you're going to be intellectually honest anyway.
1: Let's let's talk about the, the giant trees because this obviously fascinates me. When I researched these massive apparent stumps, the question that comes to mind, two questions, number one, how tall were they? Because I wish I knew what the size of the roots are. How tall would they have been what kind of environment did they exist on and what got them? What kind of tool, machinery, mm. lace, or whatever, fill in the blanks. Why were mm-hmm. they cut?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, for first of all, the, the great tree uh, theory, a lot of people who've been exposed to this, and there's some videos out there that have been seen by, you know, half a million people, uh, they're, they're focusing primarily on what appear to be tree stumps, you know, like Devil's Tower being the most famous of them. But there's a lot of different plateaus that appear when you look at them you know from from the perspective of tree it looks exactly like a tree stump that's been cut down and it looks like it was cut by a giant laser or something um so those are found all over the world and sometimes they're perfectly circular and sometimes they're they're shaped more like you know the 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 random curves of take an oak tree or something like that at the at the base um and those Those particular subjects open up a can of worms, and a lot of people end up arguing because it's like, oh, basalt, that's you know that's cooling lava. That's the official mainstream story about how these these hexagonal columns can jet straight up into the air and and, you know, cool in a in a fashion that looks exactly like a tree stump. And yet when you look around lava flows all over the world and you see lava actually flowing and you see it actually cooling, you don't see anything that looks anything like that. In fact, you never see any straight lines whatsoever. So I I have a hard time imagining that that basalt columns are from volcanic activity. And I've seen no evidence of it. There are no videos of such a thing actually occurring. So you just have to take their word for it. And then when you take their word for it, they're, they're, they're making their claims based on things like their different dating techniques and spectroscopy, for example. They look at the different elemental constitution of of the of the 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 stone structures and then they they make claims about them so once again you have to just take their word for it when it comes to their you know extremely expensive instrumentation and and their their degrees and and their claims but you can't actually witness things occurring whereas there are examples for example in the geological record that have to do with things like um what do you call it uh sedimentary layering We're told that this happens over long, long periods of time, and oftentimes they're giving periods of millions of years, whereas with something like Mount St. Helens, there's geological evidence where they're showing that these pyroclastic flows laid down large amounts of sedimentary layering in a matter of hours with micro layering. There's geologists doing boots on the ground footage there and showing this whole section this came in a matter of hours so a lot of our narratives when it comes to how things form i think are are really up for grabs and a lot of claims are made that that aren't necessarily substantiated by by actual evidence they're they're just accepted doctrine
1: let's speculate for a moment what do you think was used in order to cut these let's say trees
2: Mm. it's it's fun that you ask that question because I've got a video of locked and loaded, ready to go. Because, I, I mean, if you go to the Bible, it might be something like the the what what's called the glittering sword of God. You know, if you're a Bible believer, that that um, that things could petrify very rapidly and perhaps even be cut down. If you go to say the Greek myths, you got you got Medusa and and this this whole idea of of something just rapidly turning to stone. Um, but as far as how they would be cut down if those were trees you got the the paul bunyan myths of of north america which is what that's a titanic man you know that's that's going and, and chopping these things down well these 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 stumps are not showing signs of axes so that doesn't seem very reasonable but when you get into a lot of the the history going back to this this gets into the work of my friend uh Ben from the archivist also known as waking up with analog he's been scouring the the uh newspaper archives the digital archives for newspapers we're going back to the the very turn of the century they're like the early 1900s the late 1800s when you and, and he's been doing this for the last seven years and has accumulated tens of thousands of clippings from from these these articles and he's been um sharing them by category on twitter for for quite a while now and has, has only about 5 or 5 months ago started a channel of his own that's that's become very very popular very quickly and and his his work is absolutely fantastic because the stuff that he's finding paints a completely different picture of our history and our reality going back just 100 years from what we've been taught and told now if you go to you know the, the the history books and and look at you know the the sorts of things that we're 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 growing up learning in school in our history books now a lot of this is coming straight out of people you know families like the rockefellers and the rothschilds and the you know the 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 carnegies and that that these are the the barons the tycoons that basically took over education they took over the healthcare industry they took over our textbooks they took over the newspapers and and all of a sudden all of these these uh, narratives that you're seeing uh, across the board in, in the works of of uh the archivist, they just start disappearing. And that starts to become mythology and it starts to be fairy tale. Whereas the in these articles, there's a ring of truth to them all because they're incredibly well written at a high level with with the you know the 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 use of language and eyewitness accounts and it doesn't sound like you know something from um from a National Enquirer, it sounds like something that that people were very seriously investigating. These very bizarre phenomenon that had to do with gigantism, uh, had to do with ancient buried civilizations all over North America, in particular. That's what his channel has really been focusing on: is the uh, the obscured and hidden past of North America. That that is so fantastic if you if you dig into it and. Uh, None of us, you know, grow up knowing anything about this. and And so, um, getting back to the trees and and who cut them down, if you understand that across the realm, worldwide, there was a very advanced civilization. now you can you can debate about whether or not that that, you know civilization had, technology that we would consider magic by today's standards, you know, anti-gravity devices, um, you know, harnessing uh, harnessing energy from from the ether if, if the ether exists, which I very much believe it does. you know, the we we've talked about the buildings pulling energy straight out of straight out of the, the ground or out of the ether those are those are theories that start to have a lot more credibility when you see the what I consider to be a preponderance of evidence across the world of of pyramids everywhere, of star forts everywhere, of evidence of cataclysm everywhere. and and every every time you look into this stuff, the further down you go, the more impressive and the more monumental the architecture seems to be. And the more accurate and the more precise, the more magnificent, the more beautiful, you know, and, and we we definitely seem to have degraded as we've gone forward in time, like all we can build now are these these steel frame skyscrapers. But getting back to the trees, I think it's not out of the, the realm of, of possibility that they had uh, technology back then that, that we would consider like a steampunk technology that could easily have cut these trees down. And if you look into, uh, what is it called? They're diamond rope saws. These are ropes that are are made with diamond, embedded with diamond, and they can be incredibly long and you can cut through the biggest stone you can possibly imagine by by just having two motors, actually one motor with two with with a bunch with a pulley system. So you've got a loop of a rope that's got a diamond cutting surface and and two pulley systems on either end of the, of one of these giant trees. And you could, you could very easily, given enough time and, and very simple technology that I can easily imagine them having hundreds of years ago, you could just cut straight through these trees and make it look like it was cut by a laser. So, I don't – I mean, this is the thing. There's so many – Simple explanations for how some things have happened, like when when we look at megalithic architecture, for example, you look at um, places like Baalbek and 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 you know the pyramids themselves and the these incredibly gigantic uh, you know things that were made out of stone. We're told that they were quarrying this stone, they were carving it, they were lifting it. People invoke, you know, ancient alien uh, narratives. They invoke anti-gravity devices, magic, you know, they could, who knows? all these all these different ideas have been bouncing around for a long time. But it's only now that mainstream alternative history researchers are starting to look at things like geopolymers to explain what what we're seeing when we look at the pyramids. Makes a lot more sense that they were grinding up stone and that they had different mixtures, just like we mix concrete now. They had all kinds of recipes back in the day, you know, going back to the Romans, Roman concrete, and, and even before. And there's a lot of research that's been done on this, showing that we could make any kind of stone synthetically, you know, just like out of out of the materials that were at hand. So, a lot of these architectural feats, could easily have been created in what I consider to be a far more Occam's razor-friendly theory using, using geopolymers. And, and there's so much evidence for that.
1: Well, a lot of these old buildings are made with some kind of material that hardens with time. I mean, right now, let's speak on the United States. Uh, most homes are built with wood. And the ones with cement, how long do they last? Maybe 100 years at the most? But these mm-hmm. buildings, with time, they become harder and what do they do? They demolish them to put a parking lot or what have you, and yep. or they have these the great fire of San Francisco, the great fire of this and that, and you wonder
2: the great fire of everywhere, yeah, yeah. Great, great fire everywhere, and the whole city burns down, and I that yeah. doesn't strike me as truth. And they so, never seem to explain how these massive stone buildings burned yeah. based on on you know fires of of wood burning. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, yeah, it's 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 totally fascinating. That the you mentioned the buildings made out of wood, and and also there's a channel called Wise Up who he's looked a lot into different ways in which things can petrify. Uh, like for example, seawater mixed with volcanic ash seems to be enough already to embed the wood and turn it to stone. So a lot of these different Neolithic sites, the the stone circles, the different uh, things that look like like giant boats, but they're made out of stone and they're just sitting there. You see the the skeleton of the boat. those may very well have actually been wood to begin with. but then when when the great cataclysms and the flooding occurred, mixing with the 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 ash and the salt, the high mineral salt content waters, that that was already enough to turn these things to stone. So I think, I think that a lot of what we see that's stone now may have once actually been wood. And if the great trees were a thing, then where did all the trees go? This gets into topics of mining, like why were the trees cut down? If you, the big the biblical narrative, the Enoch narrative is that the angels went to work at the trees to keep the the um you know the the ones who had corrupted the realm from from climbing up to escape the floods. You know, there may may have been some truth to that. I don't know.
1: When I think of the Grand Canyon it looks to me almost like a quarry
2: like a, a mining area do you
1: have you thought about that mm.
2: Yeah I I'm of two minds when I see that when when you look at the the Grand Canyon from above it looks a lot like a Lichtenberg figure which is um basically electrical so there if you if you put electrodes on on a wooden table on either side and you run a lot of current through it, you're going to get this fractal burn pattern that looks identical to, to a lot of the the river structures that we see and, and to the grand Canyon. The only, the only story when it comes to the grand Canyon that doesn't make sense to me is the official one that that was carved out by a river. Um, But the, you know, it, it could also very well have been mined. And then if it was mined, the question is what was it to begin with? And I think here we're getting back to the great trees because to me, when it comes to all of these fantastical theories, and and you know my own included, with regards to the Titan Mountain and petrified hearts and all of these things, petrified organs, petrified all sorts of things. Um, the 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 one that that has the greatest, most compelling evidence in my mind is the trees, and not because of the tree stumps, but because of the other other evidence that's that's come forth. So the tree stumps are an interesting thing, but you can argue till you're blue in the face with people who think they know a lot about about geology or about mineralogy. and they're just not having it because no there's no way. I mean, there's some who believe that this looks that like Devil's tower looks a lot like a mushroom. I've got a, a video on my channel um, that's just like a 10 minute video that I mirrored from another channel where he's he's showing actual um, high speed growth of different kinds of mushrooms and it's amazing they look identical to devil's tower the same the same hexagonal structure to the to the fibers and they're flattened on the top so if if we if we had trees in the realm that were miles a- across then you know devil's tower could could well have been a, a mushroom of some sort. I'm I'm not saying it was, but it's an interesting theory and when you see the the visuals on it it's something to to at least ponder and and, and accept as a as a possibility. Um but there's a channel that I mentioned last time and I I mention it almost every time I do a video now, Hangman 1128. He's um, a gentleman who lives in Colorado and he has done incredible boots on the ground research for the last i think 6 or 7 years documenting the evidence for the great trees and and we're not talking about the plateaus here we're talking about the the remains of gigantic cedars that were miles and miles across and it sounds like a fairy tale it sounds like something straight out of the movie avatar and i think that's exactly what it was i think we're fed our, we're fed the truth of our history as fairy tales in movies and and our true history is is been obfuscated um but the but the evidence that he's shown that the trees were were creating everything they 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 were creating all the different kinds of minerals metals um gemstones all of this stuff was coming from the trees and the work of um of of my friend ben the archivist he's showing these ancient articles where they're mining these gigantic trees they're finding all kinds of petrified forests where the trees have turned to different kinds of metal copper silver gold in high percentages and they're they were cutting all these things down so now we have one little forest i think it's in arizona that's left you know but they were mining these trees both small and large for those those materials and um it's fascinating because this gets ties right back into biogeology. Were these trees making the metals and the, yeah. and the, um, you know, the, the things like opals and gemstones and were they making them when they were alive or, or was there a transmutation of elements when some kind of a massive electrical storm, like what have may, maybe hit the Grand Canyon, if that's how it was formed, you know, were, were, were the elements then transmuted into something and and then we get the petrified results of that. I I I I'm I'm of two minds. I I part of me thinks that some of these old trees were were glowing and and giving off their own light and were were just a sight to behold that's straight out of fantasy and but but it may have just been that they were normal wood like what we see today in the sequoias and then eventually uh, you know when when the cataclysm hit, which I think is most likely plasma. We'll get back to plasma in a second. But when the when the cataclysm hit, then it that it, it uh, you know changed these these structures into what they then became, and you know we're fed other stories about geology and how things form and what they're mining and and how that came about. And so we're paradigm blind. We're 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 totally unable to see the you know the the mining for the for the trees.
1: <laughs> well, when I am thinking of of Devil's Tower, I am thinking of what we see in a tree hive. This hexagonal or polygonal structure made in nature, and then you see mm. them going up like that, and then at the, at the top it's just completely flat. As you, as you said, if it may be a giant and cut it off or a laser was used. And the question is, if we had these massive trees everywhere, imagine the atmosphere the way it was. And I truly believe that the pyramids around the world, not only in Egypt, but all over the place and even in places like China where they're covered with grass and, and farmers are paid to keep them that way because the, the Sinos, the, the Chinese, they don't want anybody to think that there was a different civilization in that part of the world making these pyramids but I think they had some kind of metal gold perhaps as a capstone and they connected the entire grid of the, of the, of the earth. And there was electricity and energy flowing everywhere until these yeah. parasites came along and disconnected us from that.
2: Absolutely. And started charging us for what was once free. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a tragic uh, tale and we definitely live in a, in a corrupted realm. And in, in my opinion, uh, there was definitely a, a fall from 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 some kind of a, a more para, paradisical, you know, existence. But uh, yeah, it's it's interesting to ponder all these things. So I, I think that felling of the great trees it could have come you know through some kind of steam steampunk tep- tech, diamond rope saws, magic. You know the the stumps and the plateaus. There, there's countless uh, of them around. And if you get on Google Earth and you and you and you spot one of these, I've got uh, there's a couple of videos. There's one that I mirrored from a channel called Mister MBB three three three. I think uh, I mirrored it on my channel, and and he's looking in Madagascar. If you just go in Madagascar, you can see that there's a whole bunch of these these circular um, things that you know we we're taught that they're volcanic in nature. But when you zoom in on them and you tilt with Google Earth, you can come in from the side and you can see the basalt columns and they look just like tree grain, just like Devil's Tower does. So, I definitely lean more towards tree with Devil's Tower than something like a fungus. And I think size-wise, it doesn't make sense. But this is another one of those things that when you're paradigm blind, you know, we're taught about gravity and how gravity works. And we're told, you know, that there's this thing called the... I think it's called the square cube law where something gets too big and it can't support its own weight. And so it collapses. And so that's why creatures can't become, you know, beyond a certain size because they couldn't support their own weight. Well, I don't, I don't think the official story of gravity makes any sense. You know, it's, um, that's, that's a deep rabbit hole unto itself, but, um, yeah, a realm like what you're talking about, where the the trees were here producing huge amounts of oxygen, higher pressure. There's lots of examples of gigantism in uh, in the historical record. This is something else that that Ben has gone into so so thoroughly, showing that that not only did giants exist, but there were giant fruits, there was giant corn. Everything was bigger back then and and ironically that's how it seems because the deeper down you go when it comes to archaeology and excavations the bigger everything gets and it should be the other way around the further down we go the more primitive it should become because that's what we're taught right That, that things evolved and and now we're at the pinnacle of of our our technological uh you know existence but i i think it's far from the truth
1: Absolutely. You keep using the term steampunk, and it's exactly what I've been thinking, that we had technology in the past that that surpasses anything we have today. I mean, take, I wrote an article recently about the Antikythera mechanism. I mean, why is it that we haven't, why did it take so long for us to make something that doesn't even come close to that, but it took hundreds, if not thousands of years before we could do something like that? There's like a gap of information, of technology, of wisdom, of knowledge, in the middle that it's almost like a black hole, a, tri- a Bermuda Triangle of knowledge that disappeared from our psyche.
2: Yeah, and so why would why would they make such an effort to hide that? Well, obviously, you can control people if you if you can keep the sequester the information for yourself. If you know when an eclipse is going to come and you have a device that helps you predict it to the day and the time, you can. You can threaten people with blocking out the sun, you know, and and claim I'm going to shut out the sun if you don't give me all your money, you know, give me your all your crops, and and so you know that that's that's something that I that I read about in the history books that people you know used astrology for for just that purpose, um, yeah. And, and there's something else that I, that I was thinking about with that, but I lost the the thread.
1: That's okay. I'll bring you back to that. But you mentioned gemstones and opals. You know the, yeah. these are admired yeah. stones. Did you bring back your thought, or do you want me to continue?
2: Yeah, no, maybe it'll it'll, it'll come to me. But when it comes to the gemstones and opals, I, I wasn't aware until just about three four weeks ago that that you can grow opals. There are videos online. In my last live stream, I, I covered uh, a video where they're actually growing opals. And what I also didn't know about opals is they come from trees. So, when you find opals in their native state, right, you can have a synthetic opal that you grow in a lab, or you can have it in its native state. And where are they finding them? They're finding them in tree. They're, it's literally petrified tree that is where opal comes from. And you have varying degrees of quality, and the higher the quality, the more it's worth. Um, but you know, as I dug into uh, Hangman one one two footage about the trees. That's so undeniable what he's shown, and and I've got the you know it, the last couple live streams that I've done. If someone wants just a real just a taste of some of the best footage, because he's got hundreds of hours of footage on his channel. At the very beginning I've I've clipped out some of my favorite screenshots from his videos and I just put it to music and you can just watch and take in the majesty. We're not talking about the stumps here. We're talking about what I consider to be self-evident undeniable proof. Now there are people out there that are denying it and they're saying, "No, no, just looks like rocks to me." And I just I think they've either got their head in the sand or they're supporting an agenda or they you know they're just in denial. I mean, I could I could be wrong, but I don't think so. When I look at it, I'm seeing all of the majesty of any kind of a tree and all of the detail, both from the micro to the macro. And when I say macro, we're talking, you know, a tiny trunk, a tiny chunk that you could fit between your fingers of a tree by today's standards would have been 50 to 100 feet across when we're talking about the great trees. And that's exactly what he's showing all over. And the different kinds of sap and the different the different varieties of trees, they each had their own composition when it came to the the materials and they would each petrify in a different way. So this is one of the things that's so confusing. Everything is is, is so complex and you're going to have it petrifying in different stages of deterioration as well. And it might be already in the process of rotting or infused with with some kind of a fungal growth or something. And so that's going to lead to a different kind of petrification than just the normal tree. Things like geodes, things like fruit Things like um, seeds, you know, if we have seeds of trees, I've had people that have sent me pictures of they've got petrified acorns, acorns that were sitting in a in a jar outside their house, and then rainwater was was falling into this jar, and in less than a year, these acorns turned to solid stone. We're 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 told that's impossible. Petrification takes thousands, if not millions, of years. So the idea that that opals were coming from trees, that you can grow your own opals. Uh, that that the trees were producing gold and silver. This is what the, the idea that I lost earlier. If getting back to the idea of mining the trees or mining the titans, why why hide all this information from people? Well, you can control them. I, I brought up the eclipse example, but another great example is if if the great trees existed and Titans once existed, and that's what they're mining because of the complexity of materials that you get inside of a body or inside of a tree. Then then you're going to you're going to have an edge on everyone else when it comes to finding most valuable materials, because you're going to know what to look for. This is either tree or this is Titan, and we're looking for this particular material. Well, that's found in that part of the body or that's found in that part of the tree. So I think that that the reason this has all been hidden and fed to us as fairy tale is because there's a whole lot of money being made by people who are hiding this information.
1: I have no doubt about that. I mean, the, the his story. The winners always rewrite history. The cultural editors that you mentioned. Uh, some of those names: Rockefellers, Rothschilds, Carnegies, and the rest of them. But shifting gears a little bit here, something that's really somebody told me this years ago. He said the Earth has its own heating mechanism, its own cooling mechanism. If it's too hot, then we have the hurricanes that come along and cool the planet and if it's too Mm. too cold then the volcanoes come along what do you think about that theory
2: yeah i think we're definitely in an enclosed realm and whether it's enclosed by some kind of an energetic field you know i i mentioned last time that i'm more of a rather than thinking that uh, of the earth is flat i i tend to believe that we're on something flat but within uh, I, I believe we're in, in like a toroid shaped earth. Personally, it sounds, sounds crazy to people who aren't familiar with it, but everything it's like a bagel shape. Yeah. It's like a bagel. It has an hourglass in the center. And then there's a central singularity at the very center of it, which I would consider to be our North pole where our compasses point and like a speaker and, and, and that would explain why we're getting these aurora borealis, and, you know, and so what they call the, uh, you know, the what the Van Allen radiation belts may just be the radiation belts of our little system that we're in. And maybe that's just one of an infinite number of other systems that are all, you know, nestled next to each other in the form of a tissue of some great being, or, or maybe they're floating in in some kind of space. I tend to believe space is is water, not not what they tell us, because you know, when you look up at the stars, they have a very different look when you look at them with the zooms. Um but yeah, so so what why did I bring up the the, the toroid thing? Um when you so say a toroid, you,
1: you like a speaker. You have seen the a speaker that has the Twitter in the middle, the yeah. base around it, and it has the magnet in the middle.
2: Yeah. So that's oscillating and going up and down, and and then that also creates cymatic patterns as well. And and this is this is how you know everything functions. The, the, we we talked about the heart last time, and the, the 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 flow of blood through the heart follows the exact same pattern. So that's why I lean more towards that. And uh, I I brought that up in relationship to another question you asked, and I've forgotten what it is. I'm no, I'll just ask you about, about the volcanoes. I mean, have you stumbled? Oh, volcanoes! Over? Thank you. Yes. Yeah.
1: Any theories about the true nature so, of volcanoes that might challenge our current understanding?
2: Yeah, well, I, I have one friend who's who's been looking into them a lot and you know has found scientific studies that that appear to suggest that they might even be buried technology. So there's there's just throwing that out there as a possibility. When you look at the volcanic uh the the lava tubes, I I'm thinking tree. It looks a lot like root structures of trees when you see volcanic tubes. And for for several years now, I've hypothesized that that maybe when we're talking about volcanoes, what we're actually seeing are are the trees that got hit by whatever happened. So I, I tend to lean towards some kind of a big plasma event. Um, in my last video, I showed that there, there's a there's a little clip in my last video where a man is is taken a couple of different kinds of powder and he's put them into a microwave. In essentially a votive candle holder, it's a thick, thick glass, and he's put a ceramic lid on that. And with just the right chemicals, in ten seconds in a microwave, he's able to create rubies using plasma, because the microwave is, has a very powerful what is it called? Like a magnetron or something. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: and so so this in just a, a matter of 10 seconds he's able to take these two powders that he's mixed together and turn them into rubies in 10 seconds and good size rubies and obviously on a larger scale you you would get you know more and more of that so so what you're looking at there is a, is a transmutation of of elements in the blink of an eye well a ruby is is the second hardest on the hardness scale after diamond so there's there's absolute evidence that, that rubies can form very quickly. Um, the coal, for example, comes from tree. You can, you can take wood and you can make coal in, in, in a short amount of time. There's uh, an article that I covered in my last stream that has to do with uh, instant petrification of tree so they basically have have taken wood and they petrified it in the space of, I think it was less than a week in a laboratory. So these are all things that are being done now in laboratories and in in blinks of an eye geologically, right? We're talking a flash. Uh so this all ties into to these theories about instant petrification. Coal in in when it starts to melt will will vitrify, and that vitrification turns it into obsidian. So, so coal and obsidian, I think, are just different states of the same of the same carbon atoms, right? So it's it's fascinating because you can see. Uh, I, I think I showed it in the video as well, where where there's different um, areas where you have you have a volcano, you have the the caldera, and when you look at the caldera from the sides, you can see that it almost looks like the growth rings of trees. So I more and more I I'm 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 of the mindset that a lot of volcanoes maybe not all of them but certain types of volcanoes were once trees they got hit they might have had elements that in the process of transmuting became something like uranium or plutonium and and so we get these highly volatile active elements and so you get this smoldering thing that's deep deep down in the ground and every once in a while that bu- that bubbles up and what would it bubble up through well perhaps the ancient root structures of the of the great trees so it's just a theory that I've been working on but the more I, I look into it the more evidence there is that's in support of that theory so it, it's it's fascinating to 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 dive into
1: this is mind-blowing because I'm thinking when you said magnetron I thought of the sun. I mean, the magnetron converts electrical energy into high-frequency electromagnetic waves. And what is the sun? In my opinion, the sun is electro and magnetic. So, if mm-hmm. these stones are are developed or created in time, perhaps millions of years, and the sun is the one responsible for it, but a microwave is a miniature sun, and it can mm-hmm. transmute and create these things rapidly. What do you think?
2: Yeah. yeah, this gets into what you know theories about the plasma apocalypse. Some call it the Mco event, which is the electro like a flash magnetic changeover event, I think is what it what it stands for. Um, you know, and th- this gets back to our to our myths about Medusa and Cthulhu and you know what was Medusa known for turning things to stone instantaneously. You know, we can see the power of the Sun with something called a Fresnel's lens. Have you ever heard of one of those? No heaven. It's, it's it's basically the lens. If you take a giant large screen television and you take the 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 front panel of the television off and you put it in a in a wood frame so that you've got something to hold it, you've got a giant magnifying glass. Well, everyone, you not everyone, but most people I think have worked with a magnifying glass and maybe burnt some paper or yeah. some wood using the light of the sun. Well, now imagine that just a few feet across. Uh, you know maybe say 4 by 6 oh i've seen them they they, they actually yeah. melt the stone it melts the stone in seconds it starts to turn it to liquid and it vitrifies and and you can see that it's turned to something that looks exactly like obsidian so you know that imagine if if we do live under a firmament because i talked about you know an electromagnetic barrier that's keeping us in this enclosed realm that gets back to the gigantism. I do tend to think in kind of circular
1: But <laughs> well, we'll hold it right there because we have to we have to take know. a break and this is a good cliffhanger. What you just said okay. about the firmament, because I've seen the videos of that rocket. The rocket that goes all the way up and there's mm-hmm. no breaks in a rocket and it it doesn't blow up, but it, it stops sloshes to a stop. <laughs> a, a screeching halt and I wonder what that could be and also you see these these Elon Musk rockets supposedly going up there and if you look at them it looks like they're traversing the firmament and going into an area that looks like water it's like a boat yeah it's
2: like a wake of a boat yeah exactly so let's talk about this the, the, the barrier yeah
1: let's talk about melted structures after paradigm blindness The need for a new perspective. There's so much more to discuss with Mike Wilkerson when we come back. But how can people learn more about your work? And I know you're working in a book, right?
2: Yeah, and we talked about that last time, but I got so wrapped up in the studies and work and family that that I just decided to put it on hold because I'm i just not so interested in, in the whole marketing game and and uh, so i it's something I'm going to get back to soon. That's a book on the on the topic of of hacking and my experiences as a as a teen as a hacker. But uh, it, it, people who are interested in what I what I've been studying and doing and sharing uh, can go to the YouTube channel. It's called S-T-E-L-L-I-U-M. 7, S-T-E-L-L-I-U-M. I have um, a Telegram group and a, and, a, and a chat group where people can share some of their finds. Because after seeing my, my videos, uh, people tend to reach out to me because they're, they've found stuff and they wonder what, what I think of it. I'm no expert, but I'll, I'll take a look at stuff and you know, offer an opinion if I have one. But a lot of times, it's just I don't know. It looks biological to me, you know, because a lot of this stuff does. Um, but yeah, that's that's where they can reach me. I think the, the liner notes on my videos has the Telegram group. It's also Stellium 7 is the is the Telegram channel.
1: Excellent. And when we come back, I want to ask you something else about AI. I know that this is not an area you discuss too much, but being a former hacker, I want to get your take on the advent of AI and what it's doing to the world. Mm. But much more to discuss with Mike Wilkerson when we come back. This is Mel Hustlerick and you are listening to Veritas. Go anywhere.
0: Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15 day free trial of FLFE today with no credit card required.